Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. Do you ever have the feeling that something is wrong? You try the usual tricks, the usual tactics, but nothing seems to work to fix the problem that you perceive as being wrong. That leads to frustration. Well, right now, faithful listeners in this country, millions of you know that something is wrong. Our founders, the ratifiers of our Constitution, gave us ways to fix that. They gave us techniques to use. They gave us tricks to use. They gave us remedies to use in order to fix things when they weren't right. First of all, they gave us Article 1, Section 8, the enumerated powers. These are the powers that the ratifiers and the Constitution gave to the federal government. The sovereign states were a party to that Constitution, and they gave the federal government limited powers, enumerated in Article 1, Section 8. In the Constitution itself, There are checks and balances between the branches, three co-equal branches. Checks and balances were put in place so that one branch couldn't become more powerful than the other. They gave us the vote so that we had a say and an input into who represents us in our constitutional republic that they gave us. They gave us the First Amendment, freedom of the press, knowing that a free press can investigate the wrongs, can write about the wrongs, can influence people, can do its job by outing the wrongs and outing the wrongdoers. They gave us the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, and there was no question in the minds and the hearts of our ratifiers that the purpose of the Second Amendment was to prevent tyranny in government. They gave us the rest of the amendments, and especially the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment, 
which solidifies once and for all in writing that the ultimate power in this country rests in the sovereign states and the people in the sovereign states. They gave us all of the tricks, all of the tools to keep the ship of state sailing correctly in the right course. But something is wrong, isn't it? We know it. Millions of us do. And so it's important that we discuss the rightful remedy. How can the states take back power from the federal government that has exceeded its power, usurped power, expanded beyond the bounds ever envisioned by our founding fathers? My guest is Michael Meharry. Michael Meharry is the National Communications Director of the Tenth Amendment Center. He has written a book called Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty, available on Amazon.com as well as the Tenth Amendment Center website. Michael Meharry has a lot to say about the remedy, the rightful remedy, the legal remedy that we have before us. Michael, it is wonderful and an honor to have you on this program. To me, what we will discuss today is probably the most important subject that any patriot can discuss in today's world. Michael, pleasure to have you. Thank you so very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure uh, on my part as well. It's, I agree with you. I think there's, uh, this is so important, I've pretty much dedicated my life to it. So I'm in complete agreement with you on the important, uh, importance of the subject. Well, I'm glad you've dedicated your life to it because you're a very able combatant. I've read your articles. Uh, you have written incredible articles about uh, the subject of the Tenth Amendment and nullification, and you work for a group that I know is actively pursuing remedies uh, involving the Tenth Amendment. That is, of course, the Tenth Amendment Center. So, first of all, let's start out. Tell me, tell us all about the Tenth Amendment Center. What kind of programs do you run? Uh, can we help? Give us a good rundown on. The, the wonderful group you work for, the Tenth Amendment Center. Sure, be happy to do that. The uh, Tenth Amendment Center, I like to categorize, uh, I guess, as a think tank, probably is the best term for it, in the same vein as the Heritage Foundation or Cato or Brookings or these different uh, organizations out there. And I can sum up the philosophy of the Tenth Amendment Center in one sentence, and we use this a lot. It's follow the Constitution, every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. That's our core philosophy, and everything that we do is built around adherence to the Constitution. Uh, primarily, we are dedicated towards the goal of bringing the balance of power between the states and the federal government back into the proper alignment that was intended by the founders and the ratifiers of the Constitution, and we do that basically through two main venues of work. Number one, education, simply doing what we're doing right now, talking about these founding principles, talking about the vision and the philosophy and the, the ideas that brought this country into existence. 
we do that through teaching, through presentations out live, through our website, articles, books, any media that we can use. Uh, so education is a huge chunk of what we do because there's so many people that don't really understand the history. And then secondly, our second driving thrust is through activism, and that's getting down and, and working to get legislation passed at the state level that will serve to rein in out-of-control federal power. Uh, we do a lot of actual work with legislators at the state level, helping them craft legislation, also helping them get it passed, talking points, uh, working, uh, actually going and doing some testimony at, at Senate hearings and House hearings and those type of things, and just really working hard to bring that power back to the state in a real functional way. So education, activism, basically the two spheres of what we do at the Tenth Amendment Center. Uh, to kind of give people an idea of the structure of the organization, we have uh, a national Tenth Amendment Center. We're based out in Los Angeles, California. And then under that, we have chapters at the state level. And right now, we have chapters in about two dozen different states. Some are more active than others. Um, some are extremely uh, powerful and, and working hard, and some are brand new and just getting going. So just really depends on what state you're looking at. But uh, the idea is kind of decentralized and autonomous. We give a lot of leeway to the state chapters to look at the issues that um, they're going to focus on, depending on the political situation in the given state. Obviously, things in Kentucky are a lot different than things in California. So you will have different focuses at, at each state level. Some might focus more heavily on an issue like uh, indefinite detention in the National Defense Authorization Act, where you have another state chapter that's focused more heavily on uh, nullification of gun laws. And it really just depends on what's going on in that state and what the political climate is there and, and kind of what the people are open to embracing. So that's really kind of the, the Tenth Amendment Center in a nutshell. Uh, we've, I think, been very successful in the span of time that it's existed. It was founded in 2006. And looking back at what we were doing in the beginning, which was really just pushing resolutions, and then today when we have bills in virtually every state that we've, that we've looked at that have some type of, of nullification or uh, some type of pushback against federal power, it's really amazing to see how this idea has begun to take off. And we're very proud that we've been at the forefront of that. I really can attest personally to the Tenth Amendment Center's activities. I've participated in some of the local uh, forums uh, in Atlanta and Chattanooga and in North Carolina. And uh, I think what I find the, the most impressive about the Tenth Amendment Center is that you have focused on what I think is the key factor today in trying to to take power back to the states where it really truly belongs. Uh, I know it's a very much of an uphill battle. I know you feel it as well. We all feel it. But nevertheless, without the Tenth Amendment Center to spearhead that drive, uh, we really wouldn't have the leadership uh, to help all of us activists in the separate states. You've set up the whole... Uh, the whole group in the way the republic was you you do have a national organization but by making it uh, specific state specific i think you really achieve the goal of letting local people feel 
and work for what they think is important. And, of course, you give them the guidance. So my hats are always off. My hat, I don't know how many hats I have, but my hat is always off to the Tenth Amendment Center because you guys are doing a fantastic job. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break right here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More with Michael Meharan right after the break. So here we are. We're talking about states' rights, basically, which unfortunately that term uh, got a real bad name, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But nevertheless, no matter how you term it, the states were party to the ratification of the Constitution. The, the, the federal government is the creation of the states. And so we come again to a subject that has risen from time to time, sometimes more, uh, more fervently than others, but it's a subject that right now is on the lips of everyone who understands what this problem is, and that is nullification. So we're going to have, you and I, a a pretty in-depth discussion of nullification. There's a lot of aspects of nullification, uh, a lot of nuances to nullification. But let's let's start out real simple. Uh, Michael Meharry, what is nullification? I like using uh, a couple of uh, somewhat amusing definitions to kind of just explain the concept of nullification, because I think a lot of times when people hear the word, and if they've read mainstream media reports, they, they get this impression that it's some kind of deep, intellectual kind of uh, idea that you have to have a law degree from Harvard to understand, and I can assure you that's not true. I don't have a law degree from Harvard, so I, obviously that's not necessary. But I like to put things in simple terms so people can kind of grasp them, and I like to... Uh, kind of amusing analogies. The first one is nullification is what your three-year-old does on uh, just about a daily basis. He says no. And and that's all nullification is, saying no. Um, To put it in a little bit more in-depth idea, basically nullification is a state which has the ultimate authority and power in our political system. Well, I should back up. The people have the ultimate power and the authority, but they first vested political power and created political societies around their state. So the state is the first building block of our system. And so nullification is the state asserting its authority and power to stop the federal government when it overreaches the powers that it was delegated. I like to use this analogy, and actually my wife came up with it. It's like we do with our daughters. We have two teenage daughters, and every once in a while they get a little bit of a wild hair uh, on their wardrobe. So we practice what we call wardrobe nullification. And this is no more difficult than one of our lovely daughters walking out wearing something, as we've all seen teenagers do, uh, something a little inappropriate. And, And my wife is the chief wardrobe nullifier. She'll look at our lovely daughter. She walks out and say, oh, no, you are not wearing that out of this house. Go back to your room and change your clothes. And uh, at that point, the clothes are changed and the wardrobe has been nullified. And so it, it's kind of a funny little story, especially if you've ever seen it in action, because this has actually happened. Well, but well having, a, having a daughter myself, I can, I can verify that that's a, something that has to be done on a regular basis the older they get. 
Exactly. You played the game then. So, but it's, it's amusing, but it, in essence, encapsulates this idea. It's, it's the people with the authority, which in this case is the parents, letting the person that is in the position of, of not authority, which in the case of the uh, political system is the federal government, and saying, no, you've overstepped the bounds. As long as they remain within the bounds that they're supposed to be in, everything is good and everything functions as it should. But when that authority is overstepped, then there must be some mechanism to, to bring it back into check or else, uh, as the case is with teenagers, they go absolutely crazy and do whatever they want. And in the case of a political system, you get a federal government that does absolutely whatever it wants. And that's basically the situation we find ourselves in today. So this principle of nullification is really... We talked about, uh, you mentioned checks in the inter, uh, introduction. You have checks between the various branches of the government, between the judiciary, the legislative, and the executive. The founders and the ratifiers expected that the states would serve as a vertical check on federal power. And if without that, like I said, you have a, have a federal government of unlimited power, and we know that that's not what the, the people who brought the system into existence intended. So nullification you've given a good example of what it is and it's basically the people in authority saying no uh that's really simple and so the question is why haven't we done that more often that that's really the question and so probably what we should look at is the question is has it been tried before have have states in the history of our government have the history since the Constitution was ratified, have states tried to nullify the federal government's edicts, rules, laws, or, or whatever? Uh, and what has been the result? Sure, absolutely. I think that's important, and, and uh, I think it's good, to, it would be a good idea to take a little bit of time and kind of trace the history of nullification through the history of the Republic, because it has been tried. Uh, actually on a great many occasions with varying degrees of success. And a lot of people, when they hear the word, they are only aware of maybe one or two instances. Most people that have read about this idea in the mainstream media are going to immediately think that nullification only had to do with the Civil War and the uh, Civil Rights era in the 1950s. And then if you have somebody with a little bit more sophistication, they might be aware of the... Uh, South Carolina trying to nullify the tariffs in the 1830s. But in reality, the history of nullification stretches a lot farther back than that. In fact, it goes back to very nearly the beginning of the history of the Republic. And I think most people intuitively understand that anytime you place power in a given entity, the natural law of nature of these entities is that they're going to try to expand their power. We see it in the business world. A small organization tries to gain power in the market, and we see it in any government institution. They try to amass power, gain power for, for themselves. And this immediately began happening once the federal government was created. And that concludes part one of this very special episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum with Michael Meharan. More next week on part two. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. 
the right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Thank <laughs> you. 